Hey, good morning. I got a confession. I'm, I missed y'all. It's good to see y'all. All your smiling faces out here. It's really good. You know, I have such a fond affection for Steve and the worship team, and this is a church that puts as one of the crown jewels in the church, in the church body, the acts of worship. And God says that He inhabits the praises of His people. Let's thank God for coming today and inhabiting because we praise Him. Can we do that? Father, we praise You with all our hearts because we know that You are the true and awesome God who created us and sustains us and loves us. We praise You that You do inhabit the praises of Your people and You inhabit us. So You are the honored guest among us and we give You praise, worship, adoration. God, we love You. We adore You. We revere You. We fear You in holy, awesome awe of who You are. And we want to worship You in spirit and in truth through Your Word today. Lord, bless Britain and his sweet wife, Mr. and Mrs. Watch over them. Guide them. Help that young man remember he's got two ears and one mouth. And he will be blessed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Marriages go better that way. Amen. Oh, hey. Too little, too late. <laughs> but she's still here. See, that just proves my wife is a Christian. <laughs> she's still with me, man. I'll tell you what. Open your Bibles to Psalm 33. We're going to just exposit this, this psalm. What we're going to do is read it. Then we're going to break it down a little bit and just make some observations along the way. We're not going to jump all over the Bible. We're just going to be in this one song. And as you turn to Psalm 33... Let's think about this for just a minute. Refresh your mind. What does, what does music and a song really do? It gives vent to your passion, your heart, your will, your mind, your faith, your hope, your trust, your confession of faith, what you believe, who you believe in, the affections of your heart. You know, singing should be a very emotional thing. It's a gateway to give our will and emotions to God in a way that, that He sees the joy of our heart. And it comes out through stringed instruments and through drums and through keyboard. You know, a keyboard actually, it's not an electronic one, but a piano is a harp. Instead of playing it up here, it's turned flat and the keys plink the strings, if you will. It's actually a harp. So when the psalmist talks about harps and stringed instruments, we're really not that far away. We just have amplification praise God he does say shout that's the biblical basis for being loud in church all right in case you're wondering those of you who are worried about it but anyhow we can get too loud I'm getting older and I've been in some worship services that are just blowing me away where I can't even tell what we're doing but the Bible says to shout to the Lord amen David danced before the Lord was that emotional was that an act of the will yeah, he willfully chose to dance before the Lord. Now, his wife didn't like it and made fun of him, and that made their relationship difficult for the rest of their lives. But he said, hey, I'm doing this for the Lord. I didn't do this for you or anybody else. I'm giving myself away 
and basically being vulnerable and sensitive to my God the King who is ever watching me and what I do and what's in my heart. Amen? So remember, music, it's giving vent to what's in our heart and what we believe. It, it, it's emotional. It should be strong. I mean, I think it's okay to dance before the Lord in church. I think it's okay to, to shout to the Lord. You know, we're commanded to shout and get loud, you know, and get happy. And the one thing I love about this church is, I mean, half the church is up here leading the church in worship, and the other half went with Britain on his honeymoon. No, no, no. And you're the smart ones that are still here that know that even though he invited you, he really didn't mean it. So, but I think it's neat that there are people from the church that went to be a part of the, uh, the wedding ceremony and be down there and support, and that's really good. And I know you're supporting them with your prayers. And it's an exciting time for your church. And by the way, congratulations. You have a full-time pastor. I think he's full-time, isn't he? You have a full-time pastor, okay? He'll understand what that means one day. You're going to help him. You're going to teach him. He's fresh out of seminary, and I've heard some really great things about him. He's got a good heart. Amen, church? And, uh, you know, a wife is a good thing from the Lord, the Scriptures say. So a wife that, that God gave him, is, it, it, he's going to have more help than he even knows is coming. Amen? And that's a good thing. All right? We used to tease in church uh, during seminary that, you know, you're looking for a wife and the women are looking for an MRS degree. And, and it had to be somebody who loved Jesus and could play the piano. Do you remember those days? Back, you remember back in the day? So worship was at the top because you might get some church where, you know, the guy had to lead the singing and the wife had to, you know, get on the keyboard. And so there was a lot of that going on. But Anyhow, enough to do about all that. Let's get into this Psalm 33 and let's take a look at this thing. And um, it's broken up. The first three verses are a call to worship. And then the next eight verses after that are why. Then there's another eight verses that tell you why, more reasons. And then finally, a prayer and a praise of hope and confidence in the Lord at the end. So let's, let's read it together, all right? Let's look at it together. I'll read. Shout joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. Literally, you righteous ones. Amen? It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song and play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Can I get an amen right there? By the word of the Lord, these are all the reasons here that we're to praise Him. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of His mouth. Why, He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke, and it came to being. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm. Amen? How long? Forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation 
whose God is the Lord. Amen? The people He chose for His own inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. From His dwelling place He watches all who live upon the earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Uh Uh-oh. No king is saved by the size of his army, and no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope, whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. Amen? He is our help. He is our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, Your people, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Jesus, we put our hope in You. All of our blue chips, we put them all on You. We bet the destiny of our soul on the goodness of our sovereign, powerful, loving God. Jesus, thank You for saving us that we have a confidence and a hope that is in something sure that will not change. You're the same today, yesterday, forever. We trust You, God. And because we trust You, we praise You. We worship You. And we have so many reasons to do so. Such a confidence and an absolute trust and an absolute hope that's real, as real as anything we've ever seen or touched, that you are our God and we are your people and we will worship you until you come again or you take us home. This is our declaration of faith in this song. In Jesus' name, amen. We declare the truth of these things as we sing, don't we? Don't we sing the truths of God? You know, we live in... in Strange times, maybe some of the strangest in history. Anybody amen that? But we worship and praise a sovereign, forever loving God. Circumstances goes like this. God is like this. He is the same. And that same is an awesome same. You know why God doesn't need to change? Because He's so totally awesome already, He doesn't need to change. When you're God and you're perfect, you don't change. Why? Because you're worthy of all praise. Because you're awesome. We use that word a lot. The only thing that's awesome is really God. Amen? So let's look at it together. We're just going to walk through here. We're going to take like a stroll through God's garden of His Word. And we're going to smell the flowers along the way and see the blooms. And we're going to sit down on a bench somewhere along the way here and there and just kind of bask in the glory of it as we walk, okay? That's what we're going to do. First of all, the first three verses, it's a call to worship. It's, it's the songwriter, and we don't know who wrote this psalm, and we don't know this, the specific event that might have caused him, but just something stirred in this psalm writer. We know that ultimately the whole Bible is written by who? By God. So, you know, God wrote it. And God is calling us, to sing joyfully. Sometimes we sing, but we're so beat up with the world and circumstances have kind of beat us down to the point where it's kind of like 
we're having trouble stirring up our hearts. And God knows that. And the psalmist knows that. So he's saying, this is the attitude of the heart that I want you to come into worship with. I want you to have joy, not in your circumstances, but joy in God. That's the context. Okay? And he says, look, sing joyfully. The object of your praise is the Lord. Are you the righteous ones? Are you the ones that have been made righteous by the blood of Christ? Has Christ died for you? Has He given His righteousness to you? Has He spilled the very blood of the immortal God for you? Then man, there's some joy in that because that is as firm as it can be. We can have uncertain, fickle times all around this craziness, but we can stand firm and we can come into the house of worship and we can praise and sing worship songs with confidence. Amen? So He says, come. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. It's the right thing to do because of all that God has done for you and whose you are in Him and who He is to you. Praise the Lord with the harp. In other words, you know, there was a crazy time in the church where they thought it was more holy to worship God without instruments. How can you start in the Old Testament and this guy before, way, way before King David, a guy named Jubal, who God created to make musical instruments. Amen? And then go in the Old Testament and they had all these musicians and singers. In this song, this kind of song, the choir would sing a lot of the intricate verses and then the people would, would come back with like maybe verse 22 over and over again or verse 12 over and over again. They would, they would just sing certain verses back. But the choir would kind of tell the story and the congregation would say amen by singing a verse within the song. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was antiphonal. It came back and forth. In other words, what were they doing? What do you do in a Christian conversation? I love Jesus. And you say, well, I do too. Well, look, Jesus did this for me. Jesus did this for me. We're going back and forth. What are we doing? We're reciting our faith and our confidence and our hope. That's what you do in a song. You know, we didn't even, we did not even talk about this. But he prays and I praise, and it was like he was reading my mail. Every single one of those songs is in this passage that we sang today. <gasps> Must be a Holy Spirit. We didn't even talk. But God talked to us, didn't he? Hey, I love you, Steve. I really do. I love you. Well, get out these instruments and let's go. You know, if we had instruments in the Old Testament... Why would anybody have the crazy idea God's going to take them away in the new? Amen? Now, a cappella singing is some of the most incredible, spine-tingling, stirring, moving, emotional worship you will ever engage in. It's intense. Amen? There was a group called, I think it was Take Six or something, or Six. I can't remember, but it was these six black guys. I mean, they just melt your butter, man. I mean, it was awesome. So what God's saying is, look, I want you to sing, but I want to help you do it. I want to come alongside you with instruments. And look at verse 3. Sing to Him a new song. In other words, when you come to church, get ready to maybe express a new idea. It doesn't change theology. God's not changed. But come to church. How does a new song come about? Well, let's say somebody's in Colorado on vacation. All of a sudden they see the mountains and they see the purple mountain majesty. Fruited plains. All these things come, and there's this new song of God has blessed me this much. I want to tell somebody, okay, I'm going to write a song. So he says, sing a new song. In other words, you've been thinking about 
God. You've been cultivating the relationship. You've been meditating on His greatness. Sing to Him something new and play skillfully and shout for joy. Just a word about this. This word skillfully, it has to do with someone who is very, very excelled, like a craftsman who knows how to make fine jewelry. It's a person who has mastered the instrument. I don't know if you watch guitar players, but you know there's a lot of great guitar players and people have different heroes. Just if you've ever watched James Taylor chord his guitar, he chords differently than anyone else. And he's mastered the instrument, would you say? He's got it down. Well, what, 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 what is he saying here? He's saying, look, don't only get ready to come worship because you've been meditating on God and He gave you a new song in your heart, a new thing to emote and share and declare. But when you're home, practice your instrument so when you come before the people of God and God, you can give the best that you can give because He is worthy of your best. That's how we worship. You know, it's, it's, and it doesn't, it's, it's no slur on somebody that's just learning. You've got to learn somewhere. This is a great place to learn because God's gracious. Amen? And he says, make a joyful noise. He didn't say, make a perfect noise. But here he's trying to say, I love people of skill because they put their whole heart into it, spent a lot of time on it, and now they're offering it to me. It means something to me. Amen? Like when you make a gift for Christmas and it's a handmade gift, usually the person that makes it appreciates it more than the person that got it. But it's the idea I gave it all I had, and it's for you. Amen? So this is the call to worship. Now, these next eight verses are why. It's, it's who God is. See, what evokes praise and worship? Who God is. What He does. His power. His wonder. His beauty. So the next eight verses, we're going to look at some of these reasons. For the word of the Lord is right and true. Is, is this Bible right and true? Have you ever been blessed reading this book? Has this book ever helped you when enlivened by the Holy Spirit of God? Has, have you ever seen words that are true and right in here? Have you eaten them and tasted to see that they are good? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I could worship God just on that right there. This, his word is what he says, but what he says, remember, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. And God's heart is pure, therefore His words are pure. Amen? They are all true and right. And this is what He does. The next part, that's what He says because of who He is. This is what He does because of who He is. He is faithful in some of the things He does. Is that what your Bible says? In all of the things He does. I'm just making sure you're awake. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. So if he loves righteousness and justice, is he promoting righteousness and justice? Yes, it's everywhere. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Now this is a word, hesed in the, in the Hebrew. It means his covenant love. It's his covenant love that is unconditional covenant that when God made a promise, it wasn't conditioned on your performance. It was conditioned on His goodness and He will never stop because He's never going to stop being good. Hesed. This is the word hesed. And His hesed love, now catch this, is actually out there for the whole world to see and to receive, but they must receive it by entering into a covenant with Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blood covenant. It's there all the time. He's invested in the world. 
the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You see what I'm saying? So the grace of God's hesed love, His unfailing love, is everywhere. Now, if you read this verse and go, yeah, right, unfailing love. I live in the world. It don't look like that. That just means you're jaded. You've lived too long with evil and darkness all about you. And you've lost sight of the fact that in strange times in a strange place, the New Testament says we are aliens, we're different people. We belong to God. Our focus is not on circumstance, it's on the person and the works of God. Are we going to go to heaven? How do you know? Because God promised, didn't He? And He doesn't change, and He's not a man that He should lie, Romans says. Amen? So look, you're, these, the, the psalmist is stirring the people up to worship and praise by looking at who God actually is. Now, now His unfailing love, just for a minute, just... Let's sit on the bench in the garden here for just a second. Have you ever seen a boy walking a dog with love in his heart? That's the unfailing love of God at work. Have you ever seen a couple hold hands as the sun goes down, smile at each other, give each other a kiss, and look into the future with hope? That's the evidence of God's unfailing love you ever seen a sunset that's so miraculous and beautiful that you just couldn't do anything but worship the living God have you ever seen a bird a mother robin feeding her little babies this morning I was on a walk and I saw a flock of turkeys and they didn't run from me I don't know what they were you know they were turkeys but maybe they were domesticated I don't but I stood there for five minutes and thought, you know, Lord, you love me so much. You let me see that this morning. And then on the way back from my walk, I saw a whole flock of geese go across the sky and ducks land on a pond. I was like, good stuff, man. And it's so much more than that. Think about the grandmother who bakes the cookie and sets it down nicely on a napkin in front of her granddaughter and pours her granddaughter a glass of milk. And with that gleam in her eye and that love in her heart, just sees the beauty and the potential of that child. This is the unfailing love of God at work. You go in the grocery store, look how much is on the shelf. It's the unfailing love of God. Do you see the rivers that keep on coming with water never dry up is the unfailing love of God. Do you see the trees giving off, you can't see the giving off oxygen, but you see the trees, they give off oxygen and we live. In other words, we can get so focused on the bad stuff and the evil and the darkness that we lose sight that these things are real and they're in our life every day. I was walking through a parking lot and saw all these cars and thought, God, you're awesome. We could be like Jesus. If we want to really be like Jesus, we have to walk everywhere we went, you know? But we get these steel chariots and we get inside and we turn this thing on called air conditioning and we eat snacks and get fat on our way to somewhere <laughs> instead of walking. I mean, seriously. I mean, what, what amazing thing! Steel chariots. We trust in our cars just as much as they trusted in chariots to deliver them back in the Bible day, don't we? See, See look, you could, we could go on all day and all night and, go, and you could give testimony of His unfailing love. 
you, you have to rehearse it in your mind. That's what the psalmist is trying to do. He's saying, please, you want to sing with deeper praise, with a full heart, with joy in your heart, and dance to the Lord in your spirit? You've got to see His unfailing love in the earth. How many sins did Jesus forgive just yesterday in the world? How many people got saved? How many people received mercy instead of judgment? How many people received something good even when they were evil? I'm telling you, His love... I've been jaded. I saw the dark stuff for a while. But I see this now. And it was always there. You hear my heart? It's there. you got to think about it. All right. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. So he's just saying, look, this is the God who what He says and what He does is always motivated by His unfailing love and the power. This is about the omnipotence of God. God is all-powerful. He can't be more powerful because He's all-powerful. And with one word, He spoke the heavens into existence. All the stars took their place by the breath of His mouth. This is the God we worship. Now this is an interesting verse, verse 7. We put... Water in jars, right, people? And we put water in towers, and through gravity feed and other sources, that water gets to your house. So we can control the most uncontrollable thing, which is water. And we have some sovereign control, but it's limited. Look what's ascribed to God. He gathers the waters of the sea. Can you do that? Can you take all the waters of the ocean and put them in a jar? See, the psalmist is saying, look, for God... It's just like going out there and getting a little thing of water in a jar and setting it on your counter. It's easy for God. That's how big He is. It's as easy as you going to the sink and getting a glass of water. God can put the whole ocean in a jar just like that. He can put the depths, the deepest places of the ocean into storehouses. He has a way to control the uncontrollable and the most vast place of water is the ocean. And it's just saying, the God who you worship has the power in a New York second to put it all under His control. That's the idea. He's all-powerful. You can trust Him. Verse 8, let the earth fear the Lord. The God that can control the oceans and make the stars and the heavens, this is reverential awe. Should we have this kind of awe for the Lord? Let all the people of the world revere Him. It's not just talking to us as Christians, it's talking to everybody. Every human being who sees the creation ought to stand in fear and awe and revere the Creator no matter what tag they put on Him. That's the kind of awesomeness it ought to have on every single heart. It ought to do something to people. It ought to move us. Revere Him means to give Him Pay tribute to Him as He deserves. How much tribute does God deserve? Well, we don't have enough silver and gold. What do we do? We pour out our heart, will, and emotions in praise and worship, and we give our soul over to Him in worship. That's why when we do that to someone else or something else, it's called idolatry, because it's only meant for Him, because He's the only one that's worthy of it. Okay? So, verse 9, He spoke, it came into being. I mean, he spoke. We can't even get our dog to come. 
It came, he commanded, it stood firm. And it not only stood firm, it means it stood firm and it's sustainable. We hear about sustainability. Everything God makes, it's going to be there as long as He wants it there. Amen? Nothing's going to shake it unless God Himself shakes it. So in uncertain times, in dark times, do you see the certitude, the certainty, the firmness, the awesomeness, the omnipotence and power of God? And He loves you with an unfailing love. Man, that's something to sing about, isn't it? Woo! The Lord, Lord foils the plans of the nations, verse 10. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. What is he saying? He's talking about he created all things. He can put the ocean into a jar. People ought to recognize the powerful God he is and revere him. Everything he spoke came and it stands firm and it's not going to change until he changes it. He can take, now he's going to the people, the nations. He's saying, look, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. When a nation decides to be a nation and punt God, when God decides to thwart that nation, He can thwart that nation in a New York minute. No problem for God. The Bible says that He exhausts this one nation and brings another nation down. Amen? That's what He does. He can do that. He's the sovereign, omnipotent creator, Lord God of all time, all nations, forever and ever. So whatever purposes we have, if they're not His, He can thwart it in a heartbeat. But the plans of the Lord stand firm. How long, how long do God's plans stand? What does it say? Forever. Forever is a long time. Look at this. The purposes of His heart through all generations. God has a purpose in His heart. And every generation gets to be the beneficiary of His righteous, unfailing, loving, sovereign, omnipotent, powerful plans. I'm going to let God plan instead of me planning. And I'm going to worship the God who can make plans better than I can. Amen? He can do it. In the mind of man, we plan our ways, but the proverb says, the Lord directs His steps. You have a will, and you have a free will, and you can make choices. But God is sovereignly over the big bubble, still guiding all of history and all of people for all of time. We don't understand His purposes. I'll tell you right now, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why does, why? I don't know. But I guarantee you, His plans will not be thwarted. Amen? His plans to get Jesus to the cross. What man or woman or child would ever come up with a plan like that for the Son of God to become born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, grow up in a carpenter shop, carry a tree to Golgotha, and then let evil men kill him on it so he could save the world in unfailing love. That's God's unfailing love in the midst of the darkest moment in history. God's unfailing love flowering forever to bring people. That's worthy of praise. Amen? Woo! So all these things are about God's power to accomplish these things. The power of the nations... They're nothing compared to the plans of God and His power to carry it out. That's what you're singing about. That's what we sang about this morning. So it's His heart. Now, as we go to the next eight verses that explain more reasons about His sovereignty, his, these verses were about His power. 
The next verses will be about His power and His sovereignty and love combined together. But as we do that, the link verse is verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. Now, most people don't get an inheritance unless someone dies, right? Okay, who died for us to get an inheritance from God? Jesus, right? God Himself died to give us His inheritance. So what Jesus has, we have. You know, I went by a piece of land that was for sale for $3 million the other day. I thought, boy, that'd be nice. Do I have the money? No. Oh, wait a minute. It's already mine. Everything in the earth is the, the fruitfulness of the earth is the Lord's. And I thought, and I've inherited whatever God has. That's actually mine. I just can't live on it till later. You know? And I wasn't coveting it. I just thought that'd be nice. But then I had to go through a little theological exercise in my mind to say, wait a minute. I can still look at it and enjoy it and know that it belongs to the Father and everything He has, I have. So I'm, I'm good with that. I don't have $3 million either. So it's just saying that the nation whose God is the Lord is a special nation. Now remember, in context, in this day, the psalm writer was thinking about which nation? The nation of Israel. Because they had a covenant with God and their whole nation had a covenant and God was their king. And I've talked about this before. When nations rise up and decide to set God over here and put some person as king, they are in trouble immediately. What man or woman could rise up and become God? So Israel had the same problem that later on in their history, they said, oh, I know you're our king, God, but nobody can see you. We need somebody on the throne we can see. And he said, well, you're, you're asking for trouble. You're going to have troubles the rest of your history. Well, it's okay. We're good. We want to see somebody. Okay. And they had troubles from then on. Bad troubles. Of course, they had troubles when he was their king too because they rejected what he said. But this verse right here, he's saying, look, sing because you've been blessed in a special way. Let me ask you this. Has America been blessed in a special way throughout the majority of our history? Do you know there's a song that you actually know that was taken from this verse right here? Verse 12, you would blow you away what, what song it is. My country, tis of thee. Where's tis of thee? Little boy asked. You'll get it. Just think about it. But tis is the Old English contraction of it is. The title is actually, My Country, It Is of Thee, God Inferred. Amen? That's what the song's about. And so, blessed is the nation. There are people in this nation that, look, all people have sins. Can I get an amen there? It's true. But our nation was birthed on the basis of giving God priority and giving God His royal throneship instead of the king going crazy and just subduing all the people in oppression. That's how our nation started. Now, we oppressed others later on, and we're bad people and did a lot of bad things. So, but it started out with the idea of letting God be God and let's serve Him. Listen, listen to this verse. Verse 4 is really the real verse that touches this psalm right here. 
our Father's God, to Thee, author of liberty, to Thee we sing, long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. See, holy light coming, emanating from God. Protect us by Thy might, omnipotence, power. Great God, our King. What is a king? A king is an absolute ruler whose will, mind, and emotions get done no matter what as far as being sovereign. People can choose to go the other way, but it's sovereign and it's good. And when it's God, it's always good. When it's man, not so much. But blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There, there really aren't that many nations in history that have said, you know, this one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be our God. Israel, America, I know there's some others, but what I'm saying is most nations decide to put their own puppet king, which is their own puppet God, and just kind of go that way. And all he's saying here is there's a special blessing that comes from me being the God of your nation. There's a second song you know that has the same psalm that it was written from. America the Beautiful. America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Isn't that beautiful? For purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee. This is a song about how blessed the nation is because God is our Lord. This is focusing on the blessings and what they look like. There's even one verse that says, May God thy gold refine. In other words, how are you going to refine money? Well, he's talking about this. Till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. What's it saying? God's going to bless your money if you make it in a noble way and you gain it through divine means. He will bless it. It's all right there. You think we could sing it together? Join me. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea to Ikea. <laughs> but thank you for trying. See, I evoked some praise from you. For the blessings of our nation. Isn't it good? That's the psalmist is trying to encourage and evoke praise from the worshipers of Israel to say, your God is so awesome. Man, just let it go. You don't have to make it up. Just, just let it go. If you know who He is and you meditate on Him, just let it go. It says, verse 13, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. This is what I call the sovereign eye of God as judge over the whole earth. He's sovereign, but this is where He's omniscient. Before, it was talking about His omnipotence, His power. 
But now he sees everything and knows everything. That ought to scare somebody. All right? It's a shame that we don't have the fear of the Lord like we used to. For he looks down from heaven, sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. Everybody. He who forms the hearts of all. In other words, he formed the hearts of every person. He who considers everything they do, he's watching. God is watching and he's considering what's in your heart, what you said, why you said it, why you did it, why you didn't do it. This is how awesome God is. He knows every thought before you think it. He knows every deed before you do it. And he lets us live. He is an awesome, awesome God. Now, just camp out for just a second on this word heart. The purposes of his heart. And then verse 15 says, the hearts of all. He formed the hearts. Look, in, in America, in the Western culture, we think of heart. What's the first picture that comes to your mind when you think of the word heart? Boom, 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 boom. The Bible always means the complete person of the mind, will, and emotion that makes us move the way we move and have the will that we have and the way that we have. It's the mind, will, and emotions together in a package deal. And God has formed every human being on the earth to have the capacity to think and to feel. The mind, will, and emotion, it's, 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 it's how God made every person. But we get to stir ours up in worship and acts of service and acts of worship and songs of praise and deeds of kindness because we're made in His image and He stirred us up and He's filled us with His Holy Spirit and so we offer it back to Him as an act of worship. But He's watching all people everywhere. This is kind of the sovereign eye of God as omniscient judge over the whole earth. And since we're in the context of the nations and the people of the nations and every heart that lives on the earth, that's why He says, verse 16, 17, no king is saved by the size of his army. What's inferred there? Only God can save somebody. God can save the king and God can save the army. But it's not the army that saved the king. It's God who saved the king. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Who allowed the warrior to escape? God allowed the warrior to escape. What about a horse? The horse is the most noble creature among men for warfare. You can't depend on the horse the chariot, or the war chest for victory. If a nation turns from the Lord and is trusting in their war chest, it'll just be more money going down the tube when they get beat. You hear what I'm saying? It'll just be a more glorious defeat if they abandon God and trust in their war chest. See, God's saying, look, worship me because it's my strength that saves the warrior. It's my strength that saves the king. It's my strength that saves the army. Listen, think about, think about your life for just a second. Just, this is just an analogy. Let's say you get a new job and you go in. There's an office for you. There's a chair for you. There's a computer for you. There's computer software on there. There's policies. There's a chief. There's a guy training you. There's a phone. There's a this. There's a that. There's a something else. And then at the end of the day, what do we do? Look what I did. Really? Without, what about all these people that brought all this other stuff and did all this other stuff? 
They helped you succeed. That's the idea with God. We can have all this stuff and get the wrong idea and be like kings. We all want to be kings in our hearts and think, look what I did. I gathered all these people. Look at, look at my church. No, it's Jesus' church. Amen? We can get the wrong idea all of a sudden. And when it all surrounds us and what we can do, when circumstances just throw that flat on its face, we lose hope in God because our hope was in stuff instead of God. The psalmist is saying, look, man, you want to have energy in worship? Just remember, every single thing in the nations and in history is moved sovereignly by the strength, omnipotence, omniscience, and wisdom of God Almighty. Don't trust in princes and kings. Trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? See, that's what he's saying. He's trying to stir us up. That is power and his omniscience, knowing everything and being able to do everything. I'm going to worship a God that knows everything and can do everything. How about you? That's what he's saying in simple terms. But the eyes of the Lord, verse 18, are on those who fear him. Now, wait a minute. You say, wait a minute. Here's his eyes. God's watching again. Ah, this is different, though. This is, this, these are the eyes of the covenant-keeping Hesed God with whom we as Christians have a covenant through the blood of Jesus. It's, it's these, this, literally the language is he has set his eyes upon us with affection to preserve us and love us in a special way because we've committed in the covenant with him. This is different. This isn't the judge just watching over all the deeds of men. This is our sovereign father, loving father. He has put the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those who hope in His unfailing love. When a person becomes a Christian, they're putting all their hope on their unfailing love of God in Jesus Christ to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. What he's saying is, if your life is from here to here and somewhere in the middle you're fixing to die and it's not your time yet, God will deliver you. Just don't confuse that with when it's your time to go and your days are up, you will die that day. And, and Christians need to understand the difference. Because sometimes we hope and we get all disappointed in God. And, well, God just said He's going to deliver me from death. Not on the day when He gets ready to take you because that day's marked. You've got to know the difference. Because a lot of Christians get disillusioned. I prayed for Joe and he died. Well, that just means that was his day. That was her day. You with me? Don't, don't, get, don't get hurt. By saying God doesn't love me and I don't have enough faith and my prayers don't count and all that stuff. That's the enemy. A sovereign God, the Bible says, your days are marked out before there was one of them. Amen? You're only going to live so far. He's saying that in between birth and that day, if you face death, I will deliver you. I'm just curious, who here has ever faced death and you're still here to raise your hand? Honestly, just... Okay, the rest of you haven't realized that God's been preserving you as you drove through the Metroplex. I'm serious. You think I'm kidding? God's been preserving. We've all faced death somewhere. We just didn't see it. And God's been preserving us all the while. I've literally faced death on numerous occasions, and God, I'm still here. Praise the Lord. Amen? My sister saved my life three times before I was ten. Her name's Sherry. Thank God for Sherry. But he delivers us from death and keeps us alive in famine. In other words, when everybody else 
is passing off the scene in a famine, God's going to sustain you. Why? Because I'm the God who created everything and made it stand fast. I'm sustaining it until I'm done with it. And I am going to sustain you until I'm done with you because you have a special covenant with me and my eye is on you to support you and to love you and to deliver you and keep you. Trust in me. And then these last three verses are after the hearts are stirred. This is like the declaration of hope and faith. See, hope, biblical hope, isn't something that's actually going to happen. It's not a wish. Like, I hope I'm rich one day. That's a wish. I hope there's a parking spot right in front of where i got to pay my ticket, my parking ticket. You know. I don't want to park illegally again, get another one. right? So that's a wish. But when we hope for Jesus to come back, Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, you're hoping in something that you're assured of. It's certain because the God who is certain and not fickle and does not change is the one who promised it to you. Let's praise Him for that. Isn't that good? Let's put our hope. These last verses are about hope, help, and hearts. We wait in hope for the Lord, for He is our help and our shield. In Him, our hearts rejoice. See, our hearts are rejoicing in a person. And we're, we're going through this exercise of who is this person and what is he like and what has he done and what will he do? I'm going to praise him. I'm going to rejoice in him. Our hearts rejoice. Remember, heart is will, mind, and emotion. And when that's all stirred up together, it ends up in adoration and praise and worship. Amen? We trust in His holy name. His name stands for the essence of His person. And we have just rehearsed all these things about His person. And His name will not change. People's names in the Bible changed because they were unsaved sinners who became converted in the covenant under blood. And they changed their name because they were different people. God will never change His name because He doesn't need to be different. And He won't be different. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In other words, this is a prayer of expectation. You've called us to worship and we praise you for who you are. And because your unfailing love is so real in our hearts, we expect it to land on us and stay on us because we've put all our hope in you. It's an expectation. They're just saying, we've put our hope in you, God. We know you won't let us down. We worship and praise you. We live in fickle times of darkness. But our God is unfailing, loving, sovereign Savior who has all power and knows all things and moves all history and all generations. He is my God and I will worship Him. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of the beauty of who you are. Lord, as we get ready to sing another song, fill our hearts with joy about what's certain about you and not be all up and down and around because of circumstances that are all up and down and around. Give us joy. Give us zeal. Let us vent all our emotions and our faith and our hope in acts of worship and kindness because you have acted kind toward us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Amen. God bless.